Welcome to Why It Is with Ryan Day. We're back in the green room. It's time to talk about movies that are to the MCU. Well, I'm, I'm sad because Clarkson's Farm is not getting... A second season. I'm sad about. Are you sad about Clarkson's farm as well? I'm alone. I'm alone. It'd be really funny, honestly. Our green room opened up and be like, oh man, I don't know. I just lost my job. I don't know what to do for my kids. Lost my keys today. Oh my God. I have to buy a new car because it went missing. Are we using this as the. Luca? 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 Yeah, I saw Luca. But I would have read. Really? <laughs> I would have. I would have. Talk about it in the green room. I don't want to talk about Luke in the green room. Uh, we have to talk about. It I know day. we do. <laughs> uh, we'll never get away from it. No, him. never. All right, so anyway. I want instead of watching Luca this week, actually, rather last week. I just I this movie has been has been like. It's just been burning a hole in, I don't don't want to say burning a hole in my back pocket, because that's like as if I'm spending money on it, but um, I wouldn't spend money on it anyways, but it's the Tomorrow War, which is on Prime Video. It's got Chris Pratt and JK. Oh, that was supposed to get a theatrical release and Paramount sold it. And the reason I find that interesting is that Paramount has their own streaming service. And, and yet they, they sold, sold it. it. Yeah. <laughs> and in the th- They're like, yeah, we, we the thing that's weird about that is why did Paramount sell this when Amazon is reporting that it's the number one movie on Prime right now? Which I don't buy that. One, because the source is obviously biased. Two, that statement is just simply marketing. And three, this movie is not nearly as good as the mar- as the marketing. The marketing makes it like, oh yeah, I'll I'll take a look at that. Yeah, that that's not bad. No, um, if this statement is true that it is the number one movie, then Amazon needs to up their game because that means people have nothing better to watch than a sorry reincarnation of Edge of Tomorrow. Um, yeah. I thought Chris Pratt was more famous. I don't know. As you may have guessed it, this film is about time travel and aliens. Um, It feels very much like a video game. It's like I'm watching. Honestly, it felt like I was. It felt like well that, but it felt like I was watching a YouTube edit of clip scenes from a Halo prequel video game. That's what it. That's really what it felt like. Um, The first thirty minutes drag. And it forces the audience to remain distant with the characters. When this 30 minutes is the moment the narrative should really be creating that audience story relationship. Um, really strengthen it. And it it lacks in that. Um, instead, we get this loose narrative that never really tightens up. And character introductions without connection to the prior scene. For example, J.K. Simmons just shows up out of nowhere. Like... It's, uh, the intro, um, is Chris Pratt walking around between, like, various locations, and we have no connection as to what these various locations are. It's just, 
him. It's like we followed some rando through their normal day and there's no method to their to their planning. And he just one of his random stops is by J.K. Simmons. His shop, I guess. I I don't know the the location really wasn't set. And it turns out that J.K. Simmons is uh, Chris Pratt thinks that J.K. Simmons is a is a is a crazy guy. Um, and it's his dad. But we don't really get that outwardly. It's. Yeah, it's it's like it's trying to be mysterious for no for no reason. Um, when this is a sci-fi, it's supposed to be a sci-fi movie at heart. But, but yeah, so for the first thirty minutes, the movie drags. But I wanted the movie to be done an hour later because I got bored. The movie does pick up when once once uh, Chris Pratt is like uh, he's drafted um, for this tomorrow war. Um, then, yeah, so these aliens from the future, they are not aliens, uh, well, aliens attack in the future, and then people from the future come back to the present, and they're like, hey, we need you to help us, um, defeat these aliens, because if you don't, humans will be annihilated from the face of the Earth in 30 or so years. Um, so... It the a worldwide draft is initiated and people go to the future and a ton of people don't come back. Like the majority of people do not come back. And if they come back, they are they suffer from major injuries. Um so when when Chris Pratt is drafted, that's when the movie really picks up. And I don't know why we It takes have, 30 minutes from to get drafted. Yeah. Yeah, it's thirty, and it's it's boring. It's boring too. Um, you'll find out like later. You're like, oh, well, I see why they took that time to set up. There's a certain relationship that they have to set up, and it's like, oh, okay, now I understand why. But they could have done it way better. Um, uh, yeah. So there's there's about like an hour of that movie that I'm like, yeah, that's not bad. Which is why I say it would have worked great as a Halo prequel. Um movie to watch uh rather than this two and a half hour long film um so the next thing is like the music determined how loud people spoke on screen as if this were a 1930s film film set where the music was literally played during the action and you know it wasn't separate from the visual there's a specific moment where chris pratt's team is supposed to be quiet because of the alien threat. Um, if you die in the future, you will also not be like, you can't go back to the present. Like your present self goes to the, to the future. So if you die in the future, you died there. You can't, obviously you won't, it's not like you'll just wake up in the, in the present, you know, um, it's not, you're, you're done. Um, if you die in the future, like Mark Ruffalo in Avengers Endgame right now, <laughs> I'm just angry. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. time okay. travel. <laughs> so, all right, you, sounds good. You think that would up? The, you think it would up the antics? However, like the music bursts the bubble. Up to this moment, Pratt and his team have been quiet and disciplined, despite the majority of them having no prior military experience. 
So getting a group of 15 people to be quiet and to just assume order underneath you, like, that takes a lot for that to happen. Um, and so you, you like, start to buy into this threat that we've not yet seen. Um, it takes about 45 minutes for the threat to, to make its to make its way into the movie. Um, and, uh, we get this like kind of a sense of, of dread that like any turn that they make, there could be an alien there to, to kill them. Um, and so they, they get along, they were on this search and rescue mission and they found that the team that they were looking for were all, uh, they were, they were not there. So uh, Pratt gets a message from he- from headquarters that says that they have a new objective. So I, for no reason, Pratt Pratt says okay, and then he immediately yells for his team to move, even though they're all within talking distance. And the music blares adventure thriller sounds. It's just it's like he got the call of his lifetime, and he's just like he he's like uh huh okay yeah so. The, we're done with this mission. Okay, now we all gotta get out of here. We gotta go. We gotta run. We gotta like. And I'm like, why did we do this? Besides, the music started playing. So I don't know if if this music is also in their universe. Like they just had the soundtrack playing playing with them. Um, yeah, it was just really weird. I not too long after that, the aliens hear the group because of the of the extra sound that they're making, and they pursue the group. But I'm not sure if they heard Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, or the film sound design first. So there is one good point in this film where I was on the edge of my seat, and that is when Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons get in a fist fight with an alien queen. I see you, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, the action was well choreographed, and I bought the stakes. Good job at not throwing the fight with this alien, Star Lord. Um, the last point I want to talk about is the time travel in this film, which is somewhat relative to the Loki series. Um, in this film's universe, time only flows in one direction, which is forward, meaning you can jump between one point in the future and, uh, yeah, between a point in the future and the present, but you can never go back to the past or a point prior to the jump point in the future. Because it's always moving forward in time. So if you leave the present in 2021 and you're gone for three years and you go to 2040, yeah, to the year 2040, then, and you leave in three, you stay there for three years, you will leave that, that point in time at 2043 and you'll return to 2024 because you originally oh, left in, in 2021. So um, it, um, it makes movie. I don't even need to watch sense. the movie. It's dumb. <laughs> the real time it, travel is that you'd come back and not miss anything. Stupid movie. Bad job, Chris McKay. I agree with you, Danny. I don't know why Amazon's like this is the number one film on our on our deal. They spent a lot of money on it. So. I get, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, a sequel's already been greenlit. Don't. Just folks, well, folks at home, don't watch this movie. Save the two and a half hours for a rewatch of either Edge of Tomorrow or the first half of Loki season one. Well, what I will say is about the sequel happening is that streaming servers are so hungry for franchises, right? 
yeah. makes sense this is getting a sequel because like again Netflix spent like what 500 million dollars on Knives Out 2 3 for the mm-hmm. right to them not even to spend on the movie because they have to spend money on the budget too right uh, so like these streaming services are hungry for franchises so they're like oh we got Chris Pratt and he wants to do whatever one sure we'll do it it'll work better next time I don't understand I it. Stupid. See, I, I'm like, if it's good, yeah, I'll back it. If it's not good, not gonna back it. Sorry. So, uh, what did, what did you watch this week? Oh, I'll tell you right now. I went to the movie theater to watch a movie you can see on HBO Max. It's a movie that a lot of people say is much better in the theater than at home. Although you can still enjoy it at home. And I'm of course referring to Space Jam: A New Legacy. Uh, is second. That's not what I watched. Is it? It's not. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. Tyler just left the group, so I'm just I just said goodbye to him. <laughs> Are we done joking around? You can't give me any spoilers for Space Jam 2. Okay, I'm gonna watch Space Jam 2. I'm gonna go see it. No, I'm not. Uh I'm not. Uh, well, mm, I, I, I keep saying I'll tell you off mic and then I don't. Uh Anyways. no, I saw. This is actually something we're going to want to talk about is uh, the Music Box, my one true love in the world, the Music Box Theater. It's the 20th anniversary of a certain franchise film that started a franchise that changed the world. And I watched all three of them this weekend in 35mm. That's right. I finally watched The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> finally watched Congratulations. Them. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this green room a bit differently. I normally do, which is normally I just blabber on about the movie. So I'm going to have instead, and Tyler doesn't know this, but he's going to just interview me on what my experience was like watching Lord of the Rings for the first time. Ask me any questions you want about them. Answer them all as honestly as possible. You can even ask questions about, in fact, I recommend you ask me questions about the audience because the audience was really cool. But you know what? I'm going to first tell you how I watched them, Um, which besides seeing in fear, I watched the first two back to back on Saturday just by myself. I went on Sunday with my dad. These were the theatrical cuts on the film that was been around since like it's film prints from the original run. Yeah. Oh, they've been around for about 20 years. Well, less than 20 years uh, for all three. Uh, and I'll be upfront and say my favorite is two towers of the three. Mm, okay. Um, although I gave the first and the third one four and a half stars and I gave two towers a five out of five. Uh, uh, but yeah, feel free to ask me questions or I'll just ramble on about really random stuff like Hugo Weaving. <laughs> um, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of. <laughs> Do you th- I'm sorry. I can give general impressions too for a bit. I can give general impressions for a bit while you think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that'll help. Um, well, first off, like, one of my takeaways from this has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, for, well, actually, no. First, we'll talk about the audience. Is um, this was a great experience? Uh, even as someone who didn't know Lord of the Rings, uh, is that this audience was probably as amped as they were at the midnight showings in two thousand one, two thousand two, and two thousand three. They were incredibly into it. There was cheering up points. I cheered at Two Towers when Gandalf shows up at Helm's Deep. I've never seen these movies before. I cheered uh, when in the infamous "I am no man" scene and. Uh, yeah, Return in Return of the King. Yeah, the audience was so amped for all of these, and it was just so good. 
because one, of course, these are a lot of people's big return to the movie fear. So we're still at that point where like for these event showings, people are like, this will be what I return to the movies for. Also, just like these movies are built for the big screen. And I want to be like, they're rarely shown because they are actually pretty often shown for like movies as recent as they are. These are movies that get re-released once, but they've never been released in Chicago this way. Just for as long as I've lived here. So it was a really big deal. And the thing was also cool is that when I saw Fellowship in Two Towers was most of the people there were doing all three in a row. A nine hour sit of I didn't want to I, well my dad wanted to see Return of the King with me. So I was like, Yeah, I'll wait a day. Also because yeah. you know I haven't seen these movies before, so I'd rather let them sit with me a bit. Even doing Fellowship in Two Towers back to back was kinda like me. Mm. Um that's how the times worked. I had to if I wanted to see all three of them. Uh think uh the so the audience was phenomenal with the exception of during two towers there was one person who kept on going like you guys kidding me why are you cheering at this i was like oh my god like here's the thing is like okay why would you go to the screening and be yelling at people for reacting over yourself also why do you think people want to hear you be mad about it keep that in your head if you're annoyed (laughs) like (laughs) um and then also during uh Turn the King, there was one point where people were cheering that I thought was so weird. Is uh when Boromir and Faramir's dad uh like gets burned and like dives off the cliff, people were cheering. I was like, I found the entire arc very moving and sad and tragic. Mm. I don't know why people are cheering at us. I just find this entire thing to be really sad. And like I was getting emotional, and these people were like, Yeah, you're on fire, jump off that cliff. And I'm like, What? Why? Like, this is sad. This is sad shit. Yeah. Um uh I cried at the end of Two Towers a ton. Um, that was probably the part that cried, I cried the most during Sam's speech. Um, it's probably most people's big moment of the movies. Although Return of the King has a lot of moments that did get me. Actually, weirdly enough, this was the other thing I was saying is so when I saw Avengers Endgame, and I know this is like it's so cheesy to complain, compare Endgame to movies because I think these movies are much better made than pretty much any Marvel movie made. So, sorry, they are. They, they are. They are better made movies than anything Marvel has put out. Um, but, uh, so, the end of Return of the King, uh, well, at the end of, when Endgame came out, the second time, not the first time I saw it, but the second time I saw it, I just started crying after Avengers Assemble, and they all started charging, and they were all there. And the same thing happened here to me at the end battle of Return of the King, and I was like, it's much more impressive this is happening here, and I've only watched these guys for three movies, whereas in Endgame, it was more like, this is a culmination of everything, and I'm crying because they pulled it off. In Lord of the Rings, I it's the same thing. I it, I legitimately like watch these twenty years on. These movies hold up incredibly well as someone who's never seen them before. Mm-hmm. I'm just like Peter Jackson pulled this off, and it just got me also very nostalgic. Um, I think this isn't a hot take. I've talked to some people about this. Like they, agree, a lot of people agree with me. The early two thousands was possibly the greatest time ever for blockbusters. Like Lord of the Rings was the cream of the crop, right? You also mm-hmm. had Pirates of the Caribbean. You had Ocean's Eleven, had the Spider-Man movies by Sam Raimi, you had X2, you had had Artificial Intelligence, Minority Report by Spielberg, Catch Me If You Can by Spielberg. Like Spielberg's doing all this weird stuff at the time too. War of the Worlds. It was the prime of blockbusters. But because I want to go back to this movie, I'll take it to three trilogies. This movie, Parts of the Caribbean, which I like way more than most people do, the original trilogy. That, I mean, I think two and three are both great movies. This is the best, but two and three are both great, in my opinion. That's interesting. Yeah. Wait, uh, which one I, you think one is the best? 
But I think Dead Man's Chest and World's End are both great movies, too. Um, Mm. And then the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So, again, three is kind of iffy, but that's because, actually, my opinion, three kind of marks the end of the... Although, I know, actually, At World's End came out a few weeks after it. At World's End is so much more Gore Verbinski's movie than Spider-Man 3 is Sam Raimi's movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, opposite issues. Uh, The issue with Pirates 3 is that it goes full Verbinski. Uh, whereas um, Spider-Man 3 isn't enough Raimi. Mm, um, yeah. But anyway, my point is, though, all three of these movies, studios took these insane risks on hiring these directors that came from horror movies, gave them a ton of money. And unlike today, when that happens, five or horror indie movies and the studios on their back, the studio is like, now nah, we trust you. And they gave, they, 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 they delivered something incredible. All three of those people came from basically very low-budget movies and delivered incredibly idiosyncratic blockbusters that were so entertaining because they were so weird. I know Lord of the Rings, you know, is based off a novel, but watching this, you go like, oh, I can see how Peter Jackson came from horror movies, definitely. They have a weird... They also are like... other thing all three of those movies are that blockbusters these days aren't is that they're all very sincere. They're all rooted in character and they're all rooted in the idea that characters can be a little cheesy and campy because you know what if we believe in them we can have those elements and still have fun with it mm-hmm. um, i do think there are moments over the rings that are campy i think they're all like within the world and they're all v- played very sincerely so it's okay and that's all that was also i was like you know if they did this with pirates of the caribbean even though i don't think it'd be as popular for them i would go see all three in a day i would marathon all three pirates of the caribbean in a day with an audience that'd be so fun yeah. Um, I say all three, but I do re- like. You no, know, there's two more, but I don't count them. They they really don't count. <laughs> Who is it, uh, which actor is the MVP for you of the trilogy? On Aston. Yeah. On Aston. Um, I do think there's other good stuff here, but Sean Aston, uh, particularly in the latter two, he's the one that holds together the Frodo plot. Really, I think. The interesting thing also about the it kind of I said this to you when we were talking when you watched it, like yeah. the only effects in here that are dated are Gollum. Also, Peter Jackson is incredibly smart to keep him in low lighting. In low lighting, he's convincing. If I can still see his entire face, it's mm-hmm. only when he's in the light and I see that his skin isn't as detailed as I might expect that it's very throwing like it throws you off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what uh what was the best the best scene? What was your favorite scene? I I kind of said it. Um the end of Two Towers, Sam's speech. Yeah. After also it's more like that comes after Helm's Deep. Um My favorite scene in the third movie. I don't know. You know who I you know what? I'm gonna answer it in a weird way and say I really like I don't know the name, but the king isn't Aragorn obviously, but the king um Helm's Deep. Is like it a very Aymer? Is it Aymer? I think that's him, yeah. Yeah. Is that the dad? Talk about the, the dad of Aowen. Not Bormir. Is the no, daughter. not Bormir's dad. Not Bormir's dad. Um Aem I think. Now I, I now I have to look it up. Um He's an actor who I don't know. Really. That's why I was like, wow, and I thought he was very good. Uh, and I thought his entire stuff was really good too. Like everything about him, I was like, "This is great." 
It's probably like two towers the best. Uh, yeah, I also thought it was really funny how of, um, ton of Rohan stuff in that one. Ormwood is very funny too. The audience started laughing every time he appeared. It, yeah. Uh, That's what I mean, though. There's camp, but it's okay because it's being played sincerely. Yeah, yeah. Like it can be over the top because this is an over the top world, and as long as it's not like, as long as there's not a character going like, "See, look at this guy," right? I'll buy into it. Because you know, a lot of issue I have with a lot of movies. Like I, let's go back to this, even though I know you haven't seen it, but it's in Moana. It's like Moana. There's a part where they go like, "What are you just gonna go sing about yourself?" And it's like, "Don't say that." If you point out to me that they're singing, then that ruins everything. You know, yeah. I'll buy into it as long as you don't acknowledge. Like the weird part where like one of the hobbits just starts singing and it cuts to a montage that mm-hmm. works here. But if they point out like, Gee, "That's so weird that you're like doing like wow," you know, like they don't really make a joke about it. It's played sincerely, and that's why it works. Yeah. Okay. Aemer was, pl- he was the son. That was Carl Urban. It's Theoden. Yes. It's, that's yeah. It's Bernard Carl Urban Hill. also being in here was funny too. I was like, Carl Urban, you're here. Carl Urban with a wig. Or yeah. not really a wig. It's a, well, no, it is a wig. He was probably yeah. young. He was young. Probably yeah. could have been his hair. Yeah, that's true. What did you think of the, um, of the Arwen Aragorn? Love, love angle story, yeah. Oh, or the you're talking about the elf, right? Yeah. I didn't catch some of the names. I'm being very honest. I'm being, it's like, oh, oh elf lady, okay. Well, you had, uh, you had like, a lot of names to uh, keep track of. My yeah. thing there is, I thought was funny is I noticed that Liv Tyler, as we like talking about billing on this podcast, she's billed third yeah. <laughs> on all three movies, and I'm like, that's a good agent. <laughs> yep. You got a good agent there, Liv. Um. Uh, I, it was fine, you know. I, these movies, like, I I bought into it. It was sincere. It was a nice little romance. I didn't have an issue with it. Gotcha. Uh, I thought it was nice. I think it it's nice for these movies to have big romantic sweeping gestures in them. It's cool. Uh, I thought it was weird how it kind of hinted at a love triangle in the second movie, and it obviously yeah. didn't happen. Um, yeah. Well, Ar- Aragorn is just like, nah, girl, we ain't doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I will say the one issue I have with the second movie, and I guessed immediately, my friends who've seen the extended editions told me I was right, is I think Faramir is very weirdly like his moment at the end where he like lets the hobbits go is played up as this big thing where it's like, you or your father will be mad at you, but it's like, it's not set up at all beforehand that they would get him mad at him and mm-hmm. it's played as huge and I'm pretty sure, and then my friend was like, yeah all that stuff's in the extended cut, but it's like Okay, but why is this played so big in the theatrical cut? You can just have him let him yeah. go and cut all this stuff for him. You're like, how could you do that? You know, like, it, yep. and it isn't relevant in Return of the King. Dad yeah. never asks about the Hobbits, so <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing is, and that's why I part of why I say the extended editions are like if you're gonna watch them, watch the extended editions because they they really do give a a more fleshed out story story right. and uh you you get the they ever release a cut like the release a cut where it's yeah. like a tv show they bad watch extended versions yeah yeah i cannot in my mind no it's just it's too long man some of these movies drag like return of the king drags fellowship has moments where it drags i cannot imagine watching this longer 
I'm okay with it dragging a bit when it's this, especially with Return of the King. Like, I, the ending to me, yeah, it's long, but it's all emotionally resonant. It's all stuff that was earned over the last three movies, so I can't yeah. be mad at it. What did like, you What did you think of the? Uh, it's the scene that I cannot stand, no matter when I watch it, of when Frodo wakes up. Get gelato after when Frodo gets gelato. Yes, with, with Ian McKellen. Um, and like when Frodo wakes up, uh, can Alberto after, or the new Sam Frodo after, <laughs> after drop after he drops the ring into into Mordor, um, and then he wakes up and Gandalf is sitting there, and then they have it's very Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's just <laughs> well, my my audience like treated it like yes. a uh, like a curtain call, so they clapped for every actor who popped up. Yeah, it was weird because to me it's like again. Thought the moment with Sam was emotional. Like him seeing Sam again and them both being okay, that was very emotional to me. And the audience is just cheering. I'm like, I'm like trying to keep in tears now, guys. Why are you clapping at this? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, oh no, it's all right. I think, I think, I don't know. I don't know what I, I think they're gonna lose. I would have to watch him again to give the details. Like, here's what I'm cut, you know? Yeah, yeah. What was I, the... I would enjoy Fellowship more on rewatch, definitely. Um, yeah, I kind of was a little iffy on it this time, but I think I was also tired when I was watching it. Gotcha. I think fellowship. Woke up more for two towers. You can be. Uh, you can. I don't know. I appreciated fellowship a lot more after watching the Hobbit trilogy, um, because of all the all the. I've seen the Hobbits. Yeah. So. We'll watch like, watch your video game. Uh, Hobbit story, and then. And then uh, I want to get a GoPro shot. Watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah, GoPro well, shot. See, also that's the thing where I was saying where by the early 2000s compared to now, compare the Lord of the Rings movies to the Hobbit movies. Yeah, which one does it feel like Peter Jackson has so much more control over? Lord of the Rings movies. Yep. 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 Good movies. Hot yeah. take. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm glad that you got to see them in theaters. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, paid my my long wait to watch these movies. Everyone's told me I have to watch. Paid off. <laughs> yeah, it's basically yeah. the soul, and it's basically not the Luca story because I flew out for Luca, but it's basically the soul saga, but much more stretched out and a bit more ridiculous. Oh <laughs> <laughs> huh. yeah, all right, yeah. Um, so should we pick each other's green room? Yeah. Movies for next I'll go first. Week? You want me to go first? Um, go first. You go I'll, first. Who goes? I'll go first. Uh, okay. Because I have a feeling that yeah, yours is going to be the the better the better one. Um. So for Danny this week, I have picked Rain of Fire. It's a 2002 movie. Um, on Amazon Prime, starring Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, and Dragons. Um, so the big thing about this one, Danny, is, uh, I say pay attention to CGI because I know that's going to be something I want to talk about. Um, okay. Yep. Uh, especially for 2000, 2002. So yeah, I, uh, I've seen this, I think three times and then I'll, I'll see it a fourth time before we talk about it again. So I've seen it zero times. So Hey, 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 exciting. Uh, this will, you know what? I'll say next week how many times I've seen Coco because it is. It, it, I it, can it, imagine. 
my record for seeing movies in theaters. Uh, and that's what I'm giving you. I'm giving him Coco because we literally talk about Pixar at least once a week on this podcast. Yeah. I'm always like, I'm all, I actually, I, I use Coco a lot for my examples when I talk about mm-hmm. things. I think Coco is like a quintessential great modern movie that uses tropes for its advantage. And whenever people, because to me, I'll talk about this more next week, but whenever people complain to me about Coco, they'll be like, it's a little predictable. And I'll always be like, who cares? Like, literally, who cares? And Coco is like the poster child of that to me. And I also think it is by far the best, honestly, probably the best Disney release of the last decade. Period. Like, from any part of their subsidiaries. Mm. Well, maybe The Last Jedi. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Coco is better than The Last Jedi. Uh, it's the same year, too. But anyway... Yeah, Coco is brilliant. I look forward to watching it and us discussing it. So, yeah, no, I remember that uh, Danny and I's final year of college. This was like the movie that he talked about all the time. This, yes, this, or because, we, we talked about well, Thor Ragnarok. But I, I, I want to get into Coco next week. Uh, yeah, there's a lot we could say. I can say about Coco and my experience of Coco. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're weirdly. I don't know. I don't want to get it now. Now you're, now you're like, man, a lot of movies in college. I think about it, and they define like those that senior year for me. Yeah, Coco is one, and Ragnarok is one. Yeah. Now I'm like, I have places one too, but that one's a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I remember actually once I wanted to write a play about my senior year and just call it like Stubs and have every scene take place after a movie I saw my senior year. Gotcha. Wait. Yeah. It's the green room. We'll talk more about the green room next week. I'll have a lot to say about my personal experience of it. And we'll have a guest. So, yeah. It'll be fun to. So, uh, keep an ear out because you can't keep an eye out for a podcast. Yeah. So, all right. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye.